The other's gang, two sisters, both curious and strange. I like the duo and they witty from the brain. It's the magic hour, Mercedes and Jay. Greetings, boys and babes. It's the magic hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. I'm so excited for today's episode. Our guest today is someone who specializes in and has very affordable affordable courses available on her site that focus on things like surviving heartbreak, overcoming fear, identifying and breaking your negative emotional patterns, to stop obsessing, how to communicate in an argument, how to create and keep healthy boundaries, how to break free from your childhood story and in the anxiety and sadness cycle. And she has something also where you can learn the 10 proven steps to raise your self-worth and how to dive deep into your psychology and learn how to truly accept yourself as well as a unique system for choosing the right partner. I just, when I looked at that list, I wanted to take all of those (laughs) and we'll do our best to fit in as much of these topics as possible. Yeah. So let's get started. Our guest today is a certified relationship coach, yoga teacher, and writer. For 20 years, she has been studying the body and the mind, fueled by an insatiable curiosity about what makes a relationship thrive. Her primary focus is on relationships, starting with the one we have with ourselves, she says. She specializes in helping others who are navigating breakups and broken hearts by using personal experience to help others change the way we view they view themselves and the way that they love. Through this work, she has helped thousands revolutionize their relationship with themselves so that they can transform their love lives. And she has sought out for her compassionate, direct, and very authentic style of coaching and teaching. Under the tutelage of Tony Robbins and world-renowned family therapist, Chloe Medanes, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, she is certified by the Robbins Medanes Center for Strategic Intervention. Add to that a 15-year strong yoga teaching practice through which she helps teach through which she teaches the radical impact (laughs) (laughs) our physiology has on our psychology. Please help me welcome Jillian Tarecki to the Magic Hour. Yay. Hi. Hi, Hi, Jillian. This is super exciting. Jade and I are both already big fans. Actually, we found you on Instagram originally. Well, my boyfriend, I my boy, I heard him like a woman's voice coming from his phone, and I was like, oh, who's that? And he said, you. (laughs) So naturally, I'm like, oh, well, who is she? And then then I found you, and I was like, I'm so glad he is peeping on her page. Cool, your boyfriend's listening, you know. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to him. That's also. not a phrase you hear too often. No. But we like it. We love it. <laughs> so first thing we want to know, because we want to know, you know, get to know our guests a little bit off the top, of course, before we do a deep dive into the work you're doing. But what was it originally that led you to relationship work? Um, actually, it was, a, you know, a divorce and the death of my mother, basically. Mm. You know, I had been teaching yoga. Um, so now, I mean, I've been certified as a teacher for almost 20 years. And um, it was uh, 
early 2000, it was 2013 or 2014. Anyway, um, you know, I had a really painful, it wasn't so much that the divorce was that painful, it's painful, but it's not like it was a dramatic divorce, but I had a very painful marriage and it was a short marriage. Mm. And I, to the man who I thought for sure that that was like it, that was going to be the man I was going to end up with. And, um, and then at the same time, I, you know, when we were starting to split, my mom uh, had been, or right before we split, and I thought things were actually good, my mom had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So I was going through, and then, you know, when we split, it's like she had a couple months to live. So I definitely faced like the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I was like, wow. I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is what it's like when everything fucking falls apart. Mm-hmm. You know, like when everything falls apart. And um, I was beyond crushed and devastated. Like I didn't even know like how I was going to like, I mean, thank God I have a dog. It was pretty much the only reason why I would get up in the morning. Mm. And I remember um, there's, she's still a dear friend of mine, but at the time we were neighbors. She lived in the same building as myself. And she was a coach, not a relationship coach, but a coach. And I, you know, I'd been in the world of, you know, the yoga world for at that point, you know, you know, practicing and teaching like 20 years, like overall my, my, um, you know, almost 20 years. And so I was definitely in the sort of spirituality, wellness, fitness world. Like I was aware of that, but I so was not aware of the coaching world. And this is 2014, like Instagram wasn't really like even like a thing then. Mm. So it was so not my world, but anyway, she found me and, you know, one day like sitting outside and I was like crushed and she knew it and we were talking and she, um, she basically was like, you know, you should really listen to Tony Robbins. And I was like the infomercial dude. Like that's, I had no, again, I was so not part of that world. And then she was like, you should really become a coach. And I just remember thinking like, I can barely brush my teeth in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. let alone think about like what I'm going to do with my life. But funny enough, you know, for the couple of years leading up to that moment, I had this sort of nagging feeling that I wanted to do more, but I didn't know what, like, um, I always loved teaching yoga and I always regarded myself as a teacher. And I definitely identify more as being a teacher than I do as being a coach, just a teacher in general. And, uh, and I never knew what it was. And it was really through the process of picking myself up and moving on from this devastation that I learned some tools, right? And I learned, I, I, you know, I applied lots of people's tools, but I really followed Tony Robbins' tools. Mm -hmm. And I enrolled in his school and there was a big emphasis on relationship. And I'd always been sort of obsessed with relationship. And I was obsessed with understanding like what happened? Like why the hell, you know, I turned, I just turned 40. Like why the hell am I 40? Like getting it, like, don't have a child because I always had this blueprint. I would be Mm. married by a certain age. I would have kids. I would have like my kid, like, you know, like a baby monkey hanging from my arm as I was teaching yoga. Like I had this whole blueprint. Like we all do. We all have a blueprint of how we think our life is going to turn out. And pain happens when our life doesn't match our blueprint. And especially when you think um, that, 
you have no control over what's going to happen to your future. So um, I had to figure it out and I did. And I thought, I must, I must teach this. I must help others. And that's how I started teaching yoga. I found yoga and I, I just woke up one day and felt totally compelled to teach it to others. And I started coaching anybody on anything. I just was like more and more. And I was doing workshops at the yoga studio. I mean, I was unstoppable. And I really started to hone in on relationships because number one, that was my biggest interest. And number two, that's just where my skill set really lied. And that's, you know, in a medium version of the story of what got me here. Yeah, beautiful. Well, we're glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> glad you entered the work. Yeah, it's beautiful that you were able to turn your pain into, you know, you alchemize it into something that is now lighting up the world. Um, so we want to get into some of the things that you have um, workbooks and workshops on on your site that we felt really called to. So one of those... Um, is about you know managing your insecurities. And you wrote that managing your insecurity is one of the biggest duties we have in relationships. So can you walk us through what this process looks like when an insecurity pops up? Yeah. So um, I would say that you know insecurity and anxiety shows up in relationship a lot more than security. <laughs> you know, like I, I, a lot of people like to think of you know, their whole, the way that they think of relationship, they think of it in terms of attachment styles. And I, I really think the whole attachment style theory is um, valid and wonderful and extremely helpful. I'm just, uh, I don't really, I try to steer people away from diagnosing themselves because mm -hmm. once you've diagnosed yourself um, with having any sort of pathology, it's very hard to escape that identity. And it kind of like sits with you. So you know, but for the purpose of just answering this question as concisely as I can, many people have, the people who I've worked with have sort of like anxious attachment stuff where they get insecure in a relationship. And, um, and even if you don't, the reality is that, you know, after you reach a certain age, chances are you've had your heart broken. You know, chances are you've been dumped or broken up with. And, you know, I even tell people after a certain age, if you haven't, you better go out and get dumped because like you have to have, you have to have the experience of rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, it just builds character almost, you know, like we have to learn about ourselves. It's just, it's part of life. And, but people bring, we all bring our past into our current relationship. And if we haven't dealt with our past, if we haven't dealt with our wounds and with our traumas, our insecurities are going to sabotage the relationship that we are in. And it doesn't mean we all get insecure and healthy relationships are ones where um, the two, the couple is open and willing to reassure one another because we all need reassurance once in a while. But we can't just project all our fears onto a partner or onto the relationship all the time. So we do have a duty to manage it. And so what does managing look like? Well, on a very like strong level or severe level, it means like if you haven't been to therapy, if you haven't worked with a coach, if you haven't actually dealt with your triggers, it's time to start because some people are just a walking trigger waiting to happen. It's like, 
they have a big slash on their arm. And, you know, even, even if there's like a little tickle, they're triggered, you know, and we have to be responsible for our triggers. And for other people, it's just like, you know, maybe it's like incorporating certain exercise or meditation or speaking to trusted counsel or friends when we get stuck in our heads and we create a story about what's going on that is likely most of the time has nothing to do with what's going on. And then you have people you trust who kind of keep you in check. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what I meant by that. And we do, we all have that duty in, inside of a relationship. Yeah. And I know a lot of our triggers are around our self-worth. Um, so that's another thing that you help people with is raising their self-worth. Can you talk about maybe one of the first steps when it comes to how to do that, how to yeah. raise our self-worth? Yeah, that's great. So <laughs> the most, imp- well, one of the most important that people don't always like to hear is, um, you have to stop thinking about yourself so much. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, go do something that you're proud of. Go do something that you're proud of. Like, and, and that doesn't mean like something where it, you know, everything has to be based around achievement. It's more just like, go give to someone else, go give to a cause, you know, I don't know, go, if you're into dogs, go walk dogs at a shelter. Like, do things that align you with your values because we we tend to lose esteem for ourselves when our behavior and our actions are not congruent with that with that which we really value mm-hmm. so the first step would be to go do things say things behave take action that really aligns with what's very important to you. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, raising your self-worth has to be also about understanding what's really important to you. And then you start to live your life according to what's really important to you because we betray ourselves every time we do or say something that's against what's really important to us. And so it's sort of just a process of kind of understanding yourself and then doing and saying things that are, you know, in alignment with yourself. That actually really raises self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously people who are suffering from severe self-worth issues, right? Like they, they say to them, you know, they say like, when I look at myself in the mirror, I just see a horrible person, you know, mm-hmm. that's like pretty severe. That person needs therapy or to work with a coach who specializes in that and works with that because that's all childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and sure, it could be stuff that happened. You know, maybe they were traumatized in a past relationship, but even if they were traumatized, if they were in an abusive relationship, that's also childhood yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's like where, like, you have to kind of that person has to probably go a little bit deeper. But eventually, all roads lead to what's important to you and are you living your life in alignment mm-hmm. with what's important to you? Yeah. And making better decisions for yourself. Creating boundaries could be an amazing mm-hmm. way to create self-worth. You know, if you're a people pleaser and you have no boundaries, mm-hmm. being brave and courageous and just creating like little, like t- practicing um, creating boundaries with people and just really small microcosmic ways, like little sort of stackings of little things every day that where you have to confront your fear, that raises your self-worth. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the little things, really. 
Yeah. Well, when we try to, what we do is get overwhelmed with trying to make such a big change all at once. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to throw my, you know, negative self-talk out the window and I'm going to be worthy now, but yeah, let's be real. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. It's just not going to work. Yeah. It's definitely those minor everyday things that we can little by little let seep in and and adjust what we have been running as a pattern for the better part of our lives. And I wonder if, you know, we talk about, I mean, we hear on the show, of course, we talk to a lot of different um, psychologists and therapists in all different modalities and deeply believe that so much of the work that we all have to face in our lives is, is what happened in our younger years while yeah. we were maturing into what we are supposed to be adults. But of course, a lot of us didn't get there. Um, I'm raising my hand myself with that one, of course. Um, and then we have to do that work when we are quote unquote adult, you know, in the later years of our life. So is it, is it that we, you know, there's so much of that resistance that I feel like happens when you talk about, well, you know, what, what are your mother wounds? What are your father wounds? And people are like, oh, I had a great childhood. I, I grew up, there was no problems growing up. How do you start addressing that with someone who is so resistant to doing child, you know, inner child work, work yeah. that belongs in the, those caregiving years? Well, um, I have an answer to, to both of that. You know, as a coach, I definitely go into the past, but if I feel like someone has a tremendous amount of trauma, they need to see a therapist, not me and not any coach. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say. It's all in the questions that you ask. Mm -hmm. It's all about your questions. So what's different about in my experience with coaching and therapy, in therapy, there's a lot of questions too, is, you know, I'm not, it's a delicate balance. Like I'll want to know certain things about a person's past, but, and as someone, and I've been in therapy a lot over the years, in and out over the years. So I'm, I feel, and my father's a psychiatrist, so I know therapy almost too well, but, um, I, uh, I try not to keep people in the past when I'm working with them too much. Um, especially if someone has been in therapy a lot, I try not to keep them there because they're so trained to be always in the past, but it's all in the questions. It's like when people are, you know, resistant, you know, I'm not always searching for trauma in a person. What I'm searching for is their conditioning. Mm. And what I mean for, by that is, what did you learn? What did you learn about who you had to be in order to be rewarded and loved? Right? Like, did you learn you had to, you know, please everyone? Did you learn that, like, by being the funny one in the family, you got love? Did you learn that by being the pretty one, you know, you got love? Did you learn by being, you know, the best at sports, you got, you know, got love? And what did you learn that you could never do? Oh, I could mm -hmm. never speak up. You know, I could never, I could never go, I could never break the rules, right? The person who could never break the rules, chances are they're such a rule follower and they have so many rules for how they live. And then they have so many rules for their partner. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then, right. And then you have once in a while, you know, the one who breaks all the rules because they learned that by being, you know, the rule breaker, that's how they actually identified as being significant in their family. You know, it's like, somehow it's like the black sheep is 
is both the the a badge of honor and a badge of shame right and so someone like the black sheep of the family will have that inner conflict of like well i always want to be different and that's sort of like mm. i'm the cool one but at the same time i'm sort of shamed for that and then you start to see these inner conflicts inside of people and how it affects everything mm-hmm. so again i'm more interested in people's conditioning and having them understand their conditioning yeah. and all the rules and the blueprints and the things that they come up with as as a result of their conditioning and how it's impacting their relationships, how it's impacting their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And that introspective work, like just peeking into that initial like questioning of your own shit. It seems so obvious, but I feel like a lot of people spend most of their life trying to run from questioning themselves. They don't want to hear questions from other people. They do not want to be intimate with themselves. And that's, and then it looks like they don't want to be intimate with other people, but really they just don't want to be intimate with themselves. Yeah. And I know, okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, those are the people who don't, who usually don't seek out a coach. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned the attachment styles and you said you speak to a lot of anxiously attached, quote unquote, because again, labeling um, might not be the healthiest way, but here on the show, we like to say any of these theories or modalities like attachment styles and such, it's about experimenting with what that label holds for you and then be done with that when you're done with that, you know, move on to what's next. But you said, uh, you know, you speak to a lot of people who are anxiously attached, which I could understand as someone coming from that same kind of mindset or patterning um, that they are the people who are seeking, like, we want to fix, we want to figure out what's wrong with us and others and all the things. Is that, is that what you see more of a, a attachment, you know, if we're talking attachment styles, more of someone who has that anxious attachment. Yeah. Or it's the person who's just like, you know, very perfectionistic, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want, I need to fix this. And I am constantly having to remind people, but you're not broken, Mm -hmm. you know? But I've had to let go of a few clients who, um, you know, I think it's like in theory, they really wanted to do the work, but they weren't ready. And I, you know, I don't want to waste anyone's time or money. and I don't want to waste my time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, I've certainly had to be like, you know, you're just like, you have to be ready for coaching. and especially the kind of coaching that I offer because it's like, I'm super compassionate, but I don't really let anyone, you know, I, um, you know, I was trained technically to be an interventionist. Mm. So basically if someone, if I see someone really going down the wrong path, I'm going to point it out. Like I'm going to insert my opinion often. Mm -hmm. So that's also a little bit different, but yeah, to answer that, yeah. that makes a good coach, that accountability factor though. That's why you pay to show up to someone to, to call you on your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I like that you, um, look at the conditioning. It's interesting um, that you don't look at the trauma because I feel like that is a lot of what people do is, is like look for the trauma. And I know that you want to help people break free of like, their um, childhood story. So is that what, what's there? Like, what do you feel? um, Do you feel like when you're looking into the trauma, they become too attached to the childhood story or? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a delicate balance. And like Mm -hmm. I said, if I feel like someone has had a tremendous amount of trauma um, and they haven't yet been in therapy, Mm -hmm. I'm going to send them to therapy. If they've been in therapy a bunch and they're like, why am I not moving forward? Then I'm like, because you're, you're so stuck in the past. Right. So there's that. But if I feel like someone is really um, traumatized, I I will refer them out, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, you know, we all have trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe, I believe it was Gabor Mate who, um, who said this, I'm 90% positive. So I, I, I apologize if I'm misquoting it, but you know, trauma is not what happened to you. Trauma is, um, how you, and I'm, I'm butchering this trauma is not what happened to you, but trauma is like what you, what you the see, response, or what you, maybe. Uh, your response to the trauma and like what you mm-hmm. thought happened to you. And, you know, there are obviously some, you know, really unspeakable traumas that happen, but, you know, trauma obviously doesn't have to be quote unquote unspeakable for it to Mm -hmm. be trauma. But something that we do is we, something happens to us and we give it a meaning, right? And maybe the meaning is my father never loved me or my mom never loved me or Maybe the meaning is no one can be trusted, right? And then that's the person who has tons of trust issues, which is we give it a meaning. And we don't realize that the meaning that we give stuff can either re-traumatize us over and over and over again, or it can free us. Mm -hmm. And so what I help people do is um, is to point out how they are unconsciously controlled by a story in their childhood that's dictating how they live their lives, particularly in relationship. Um, And then to help them sort of like change the story. I mean, and that's very much what I do like with people with, you know, heartbreak. I mean, I do that with people just in relationship. In addition to just, I love teaching people how to communicate. Um, But yeah. So, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's always about changing the meaning. And when you change what something means to you, the story changes and people don't rec- realize, and why would they? I certainly didn't know this. I had to be taught this. But people don't realize that like the facts of your story might be true, but you have to understand the more distance you have from the event, what you're replaying in your mind has been distorted. There's so many parts of it have been distorted, deleted, added, because that's what the mind does. You can't mm. actually recall all of it Mm -hmm. so the story your memory of the story of the event starts to actually build it it becomes like a a thing all it it becomes something that's actually not even true anymore and so it's really helping people to kind of look at that yeah that's really slaying your own dragon so to speak Mm -hmm. it's going in the cave and realizing that maybe it's not this big dragon I had made up this fantasy of, and it's actually something I can handle and I can hold. And mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. Wow. That's so huge for people to understand. First of all, that we all have trauma. And then that if you can go in and look at it with a skilled you know, person, especially would be very helpful having a coach or therapist to do that, that you can get to a place where you get to rewrite the old story um, that's no longer serving you. And that is definitely affecting you negatively in your life. And that's what we don't want. Uh, And it brings me to a question about uh, heartbreak, because you talked about ways that we re-traumatize ourselves in life. If we're not able to see how the experience we're having is happening really for us instead of to us. Right. So something happens, we have a bad relationship, a bad heartbreak 
And this thing that we could really just decide, oh my God, we were a victim to this. And we were in this trauma all over again. And oh my God, my dad left me this way. And now my boyfriend's leaving me this way. And I'm just not worthy of love. Obviously, you know, the ego story turns on and all these lies start going and we're lost. Right. And what are the ways that we shift that or what are the, the, the modalities you teach that help us get through heartbreak? Cause I know this is one of your specialties that people yeah. come to you for. You have a whole yeah. workbook on it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we survive heartbreak? Yeah. So, um, well, the first step is you got to feel your feelings. You really do because we are really just, especially in this culture, so masterful at repressing mm-hmm. how we feel. So you really have to feel your feelings And then paradoxically, then it's about, you know, trying not to stay in the negative emotion all the time, you know, but something you just have to, you have to initially just go through the process of grieving. So there's going to be anger, there's going to be resentment, there's going to be crying, there's going to be all that. So you do have to kind of like, let yourself feel those feelings. And then, um, you know, and, and obviously in the beginning, if it's super fresh and it's been, and it's traumatic, like, you know, you just need to do the best that you can lean on your friends, all of that, um, you know, lick your wounds, like feed yourself, drink water, take long walks. Um, know that it does change and get better. Just it does keep telling yourself that. <laughs> yeah. And just like, and accept the fact that like, you're going through this mm-hmm. because a you know, a big, dare I say, spiritual aspect to pain is just accepting Mm. that you're in pain, that you're suffering Mm. and, um, and not try to just like get out of the suffering. But there is, but then there is a time paradoxically where you where because people, we get addicted to the suffering where it's like, okay, it's like, this is, this breakup is still like destroying you. What's going on? And then we have to look at, we have to look at the story. We have to look at the story and we have to look at the blueprint. Like you, you know, you have a, we all have a blueprint of of our lives, of how we think our life is supposed to go. We have a blueprint about how our relationship is supposed to go. We have a blueprint about how our body is supposed to look like, how we're supposed to, our work. We have all these different blueprints and, you know, we're not in control. You know, life is about letting go of control over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. And so you look at, you look at the blueprint and you look at the story and the deeper work is to kind of look at your contribution to the, to the demise of the relationship. And it's hard because in the beginning, we are going to be very caught up in vacillating between blaming the other person and then blaming ourselves. And usually when people come to me, they are in that holding pattern. They're either, they're, they're ping-ponging between blaming them and then blaming themselves. And so that's when we have to look at the story. And when the person is ready to start to take responsibility for what went down and really to help them see that by taking responsibility, it makes you so much more powerful Mm -hmm. because if we're in control, because there's nothing more that we like than to be in control. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well then here's a way that you can really be in control here. You could take responsibility and know that like, you can change it. So sort of empowering that them with that. And then, you know, challenge, you know, 
People need to be challenged all the time when it comes to a breakup because what they will do is they will romanticize the relationship mm-hmm. and they will just remember the good things. Mm-hmm. And they'll all of a sudden have amnesia about all the things that were just not right. And yeah, so that, that's, that's sort so of true. the process of it. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. That last one there is how do we call ourselves out on romanticizing the past, you know, yeah. romanticizing an old relationship? Because I know I can speak for all womankind right now, especially <laughs> all the women I know. We do that shit. We do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we have to go to our friends and be like, hey, am I making this up? Or yeah. leaving something out here. And we don't just romanticize like past relationships. I feel like I romanticize my 20s. Whereas <laughs> in my 20s, I just wanted to be where I'm at now, you know? So it's like, it's just not being in the present moment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you're spot on. You you know, you have to go to like your most trusted friends and be mm-hmm. like, am I being like, am I seeing this clearly right now? Yeah. And, you're, and the people who really know you will say no. Yeah. One of my biggest wake up calls in my last relationship we were, I think four years in, and I was talking to one of my best friends about it, Natasha. And she said, you know, your story hasn't changed since I met you. Like Mm -hmm. it's been the exact same story since the first time we talked about Mm -hmm. the relationship. And that's when it really hit me like, wow, it's, it it really has like, what am I doing? Like, why, why do I keep thinking things are going to get better? It's been the same story for four years. So yeah, that is a really important that's a good friend too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard yeah. to say. Cause you know, it could it mean, you know, the person not hanging out with you anymore. Cause they don't want to show their weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so because we're talking about all this heartbreak, mm-hmm. of course, I love Jillian that you said, don't avoid heartbreak because it is what brings us character. It is what helps us grow. It shows us so much that we need as a foundation, as a human, that's going to walk in this world and live a full spectrum life. So maybe this next question isn't so much about choosing the right partner or, you know, cause I know you have a unique system for choosing the right partner. Yeah. Maybe there's something in there too, that you can talk on about. It's not so much about choosing the right partner to avoid the conflict or to avoid the, 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 the despair and the heartbreak, but choosing the right partner that you can work with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that in addition to that, you know, we also have to be kind of real with ourselves. Like, look, people, couples sometimes will come to me and one has, is anxious. The other person's kind of avoided. And it's a beautiful thing when they, when they can work through it. And I certainly don't want to discourage any of your listeners who might be in a dynamic like that, where I don't want to discourage them and think like, well, now I have to break up with my partner. That's absolutely not true. I think that when you know, we, we think that we go to relationships or we want to go to relationships to get love, but really we, we go to relationships to grow. I mean, that, that is the, it is the opportunity to grow because we will always, the relationship will be a mirror and sometimes we're not going to like what we see. And we always have to face ourselves inside of a relationship. Mm-hmm. That being said, so I just wanted to preface my next statement with that. If you're single And for example, you have a lot of anxiety in relationship. Yes, you have to deal with that. Like we started with, you you know, our biggest duty in a relationship is to manage your insecurity. It's not like you're off the hook. 
But you also have to be super real with yourself. If you had a parent that abandoned you or that was super avoidant, you know, if you like, if that's just like part of your history, don't freaking date avoidance. Mm-hmm. And you like, don't date, like, you want to find someone who is like not so triggered by your anxiety, like, is totally present with you, like, has some sort of like, you know, more securely attached, doesn't like, you know, every time they're upset, shut down because they're those people, they find each other. And I think it's because they're trying to work out childhood stuff. It's all the unconscious stuff, but in the spirit of becoming more conscious people inside of a relationship, which is what I'm all about. Like sometimes you just got to be like, yeah, they're hot. I'm into them, but that's not good for me. And the only way that you can know that something's not good for you is by understanding and knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And so first and foremost, you have to know who you are and to know yourself and to be like, you know what, that's just like, and know certain things, certain character traits, certain, certain, whatever, certain, you know, if you're someone who likes to nest and really build a life with mm-hmm. someone and spend a lot of time with someone why would you then choose to be in a relationship with someone who's always like, you know, on the go traveling and all that? Like, so I do believe that as much as choosing a partner is a, an emotional decision, it also should be a practical decision. And I yeah. think that as we get older, we need to be responsible for sort of that practicality. Mm-hmm. I hope that answered your where, question. Where were you in my twenties, Jillian? I don't think I intellectually would have held it, you know, yeah, then, but. right. Cause in our twenties, we're supposed to mess up, you know, yeah. we're supposed to like get it. I wrong. dated so many avoidance in my, after my last breakup, I, that was my number one promise to myself. Like I will recognize if they're an avoidant before, you know, getting invested and I will not, my next partner will not be an avoidant. And I think it's super helpful too, to like put it all on paper, what you want in a partner, because once you have it on paper and you're able to like, look at it, it's way easier for you to notice it when, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think writing the list is really important, but then I think that over time, what you start to recognize is, you know, rather than attributes, you know, so what are my non-negotiables, right? Instead of like, yes, what are the things I must have and just keep Mm -hmm. the Keep it to two to three things. And what are like the one or two things that I absolutely cannot deal with? And then and then how do I want to feel inside mm-hmm. this relationship? Yeah, that's really yeah. good. And I, I want to just bring back the way you started this this topic of, you know, we may be in relationships, like I just use my own relationship, for example, like what I always do on this podcast. Um I would have identified, I know we said we're not going to talk about attachment styles and label ourselves, but here we go. Uh, I would identify as an anxiously attached entering this relationship that I have with my husband Uh and he would have identified as a avoidantly attached um, at the start, at least of our relationship. And it caused a lot of strife and struggle and it could have been easier had I not chosen avoidant and he had not chosen anxiously attached person. Um, But, you know, we do work through it. And and by the way, because those are some of our core issues that that's, that attachment style stems from, it comes back up over and over again. We've been together eight years and it's continued to come back up. And it's, you know, we have to decide, of course, in relationship to continue to deal with those things. I don't know if it's the easiest route or it's the recommended route to go out and find a, you know, the opposite attachment style and then try to get to both of you to secure. Um, but 
it does, it, there is some hope there. So just to speak to those people that are maybe avoidance listening or with an avoidant listening. Absolutely. And when two people are like willing to look at themselves and work on it, like I would say magic happens. I know mm-hmm. some of the most beautiful relationships are two people who like stuck it out. We're like, oh, wow. Like we're aware of these stuff, worked, worked through it. I mean, those are some of the st- strongest relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. I definitely don't want to discourage people who are in it. You know, you can't yeah. But you need both people to work on it. Yeah. And then, so say, you know, we're now we've moved on to being in a relationship. What I know you, this is another thing you cover pretty, pretty well is effective tools for how to communicate in an argument. This is something I, I would really like to know for myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I like to bring it first and foremost to our bodies and our physiology. And the thing is, it's like, one of the things that we have to start to become more aware of is that when we're in an argument, our nervous system starts to get flooded, right? Like our adrenaline starts to flood and we, we, you know, our blood starts to, you know, our heart rate increases and we start to go into basically fight or flight. And so when we're in an argument, it's really important to um, find your breathing And if it's starting, because, you know, arguments are part of being in a relationship. And I think that like the healthiest relationships are ones where a couple can argue and then they kind of just drop it. You know, it's not constantly brought up over and over again. Um, But in those moments, what you have to do is first and foremost is like, if you think that it's getting out of control is sort of have a safe word or just have a moment and just be like, okay, we are entering that territory where we're going to say something that we're going to regret. So let's take a timeout. I really am a big believer in timeouts. Yes. And then, yeah. And then, you know, the thing is, is debate has no place in a relationship. It works in other, other platforms, but you can't debate your partner because when there's a debate, there's a winner and wherever there's a winner, there's a loser. And, um, a really amazing, uh, uh, psychologist, therapist by the name of Terry real talks about this. So when there's a winner, there's a loser. And then you don't want to be living with someone who feels like a loser. Cause then you're like, your partner feels defeated and they feel defeated by you. That is not going to increase closeness. No. So you, it's just not. So you have to take a time out and breathe. And another thing that people do is that they take things so personally, we have to remember that if we get defensive, or shut down, or like start yelling, we are in our wound. We are in a childhood patterning, like we have been triggered. So that's when things have to slow down. And we have to really watch the stories that we create. And I think that a couple needs to be like, okay, let's slow down. Let's take turns. Who's going to be the speaker? Who's going to be the listener? And the listener has to really listen which is hard because usually when we listen, we're listening because we want to reply and we want to defend ourselves. So you have to just pause. And then the person who's speaking just has to say, you know, this is what I saw happened. And this is my interpretation. Like, this is what I made up about what happened. And it made me feel, and this is where people always mess up because they say, you know, it makes me feel like you don't care. No, that's not a feeling. Like talk to a feeling. It made me feel scared. It made me feel 
angry, but I realized that I was just really scared. It made me feel anxious that you were going to leave me. And that's the vulnerability part. We are all terrified that we're not going to be enough for each other. Mm. And so we have to really talk. We have to say, this is how I interpreted it. Um, And it made me feel really, really sad and anxious or, you know, upset. It made me feel betrayed. And then the person listening has to just first acknowledge how they made the other person feel. And I say that was never my intention. Can I tell you, can I, are you willing to listen about like what I really meant? Like what my intention was there? This is not easy stuff, Mm -mm. but I, I do think that this is how we elevate our relationships as we start to have conversations where we're like, okay, let's, let's identify, maybe you need a couples coach or therapist to help you identify. Let's identify the pattern. Mm -hmm. People are rarely fighting about the thing. They're fighting about the thing that happened 10 years ago. Like, you know, let's identify the dance that we get into and let's interrupt the pattern with a timeout. And then let's come back to this as two people who love one another, not two people who are looking to defeat one another. Ah, that's big. Yeah. And, and then for a moment, you got to just say to yourself, like, I'm making, like, I'm so afraid of losing this person that I am creating a story that convinces me that they meant to hurt me. That was their intention was to hurt me. Hmm. And if you're in a relationship with someone that you genuinely believes wants to hurt you, well, then you better get out of that relationship. problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just better get out. But if you can say when you've calmed down, they hurt me and I'm, and I'm really, really, I feel really hurt by them. But I know that that was not their intent. I know that they never really wanted to harm yeah. me. Wow. Then, then we're talking. Then we can actually repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking that breather, that that mindfulness gap, that slowing down is so critical. And then being able to assess it from that calmer place of like, okay, what's actually happening here? I know this person, we both have love for each other. And, you know, just yesterday or an hour ago, we were really loving on each other. And now we're in this other situation that I'm my, you know, ego stories coming up and saying, oh, well, I'm, they're going to abandon me. You know, all the fears come up. If we can right. identify and communicate that without the blaming words, you know, yeah. without the, you did this, you made me feel. And instead I'm telling myself a story that this happened, whatever, or um, even prefacing it, like you're saying, like in that situation, I felt this way, that way. And instead of it being that blame game where he becomes the loser, and I'm the winner or I'm, you know, better than, or I'm the one who is the victim and you're the one hurting me the antagonist. You don't want to sleep with the loser. You don't want to be closer to the loser. <laughs> so don't make each other a loser. Yeah. That makes totally. so much sense. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, it's so true that most of the time we're fearing that we're going to lose the person, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that even out of that fear, we end up like, putting our foot out the door and like jumping ship or like threatening to jump ship, even though like it's from the fear that we're losing them. You know what I mean? Yet we're going to. Totally. So it's like, if I leave first, then I don't have to face the pain of being left. We all Mm -hmm. fear abandonment. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I believe that everyone fears abandonment. I think it's Mm -hmm. part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of, um, and I think there's definitely people Mm -hmm. fear it more than other people for sure. 
Um, but I even think the most, you know, secure people actually also fear abandonment. I mean, you know, nowhere else do we face our biggest fears than inside of a relationship. It's where we are most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people, you know, people have all sorts of funny patterns. I mean, some people like they, some couples get into these huge dramatic fights, but then they have amazing sex afterwards. <laughs> And somehow it works for them, you know? And so, that becomes a pattern though. It could be toxic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. it, you know, there's, 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 there's everything out there. We just got to <laughs> keep looking at our shit and evolving from there. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And calling ourselves out instead of calling our partner out over and over and it exactly. becomes a war. 100%. So I do want to ask you if we have a few more minutes here. Um, about the way to end the anxiety and sadness cycle that we get stuck in mm-hmm. so often. Yeah, so um, it's crazy making, you know? It's like whenever we are sort of ping-ponging or vacillating between two emotions that are disempowering um, and we can't, and we feel kind of stuck in that pattern, um, usually there's, so there's a few ways to look at it. So usually when we're stuck in those, in that pattern, like anxiety and sadness. So everyone has an emotional home, a place that they go to emotionally most commonly. So if someone is coming to me and they're like feeling really sad, you know, and they don't know why they're always feeling sad or really anxious, um, you know, out of those two, I say, well, which, which is the emotion that you go to first, right? Maybe they say sadness, you know, or maybe they say anxiety, like, we're our every every emotion that we feel good and bad um or you know empowering disempowering has a whole has a whole um architecture to it so we're doing something with our body we're doing something with our breath we're doing something with our thoughts you know there are thoughts that yield anxiety and there are thoughts that yield sadness or anger or any emotion or happiness um, and we're and we're focusing on something. Typically, in anxiety, we're focusing too much on the future, and sadness, we're focusing too much on the past. And what 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 people usually do to get themselves out of the pattern is that they numb themselves. You know, they some people numb themselves with drugs and alcohol. Some people numb themselves with food. Some people numb themselves with social media, with television, shopping, whatever it is. And really, the the to get to the root of it is to understand what the inner struggle is because whenever you feel stuck in life, like emotionally stuck, there's an inner conflict and you got to get to the root of that inner conflict. And maybe it's, you know, the conflict is, you know, over there is what I really want to do, but over there is what I think I should be doing. Right. So that's a very classic thing of an inner conflict. Um, Inner conflicts, also are, you know, um, again, like I, I feel it's always like what I should be doing versus what I really deep in my heart want to do or an inner conflict is, you know, in like in relation, I'll bring this within the, the context of relationship. Like if I do this one thing, I'm going to make my girlfriend really happy, but I'm going to make my mom really unhappy. Right. Or um, if I do this thing, I'm going to be really unhappy, but at least I'll make my happy, you know. So there's always like in my work, like I'm digging to find the inner conflict. Um, 
And then the other aspect of being caught in a pattern like that is that everything that we do that we would consider as like not serving us or quote unquote negative, Mm -hmm. we're getting some sort of side benefit for it. There's something that we're getting, whether it's the, whether it's the benefit of familiarity, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you've been doing that pattern of cycling back and forth between anxiety and depression for so long that to not do it is so unfamiliar, you know? So there's the benefit of like the certainty, the familiarity. Some people, when they're sad, like that's how they get their attention. They don't even realize it. It's totally unconscious or when they're anxious that's when they, you know, the anxiety is like, there is there is how they respond. They're so sick of being sad. And at least when they're anxious, they get some work done, you know, or like if, at least when they're angry, they go into action. So it's really helping people understand why they're in that pattern to begin with, to look at the inner conflicts, to look at the, to, to the how it makes them, how it comforts them in a really weird paradoxical yeah. way and then giving them tools to kind of break themselves out of it. Gosh, that makes so much sense because I see it as like the, I can totally see where the sadness, the pity part, that validation that you get from the external, you know, from friends, family, whatever, you might be sick, you might be sad, you might be anxious about something. And then that layered in. So like, that's like the surface level. Okay. That's what's happening right now. You know, okay. I can understand where I'm receiving that positive validation and I'm, I'm addicted to that in some way, but then you come from maybe a chaotic home where it was always up and down and you had all these reasons to be anxious or sad or depressed or whatever. And that feels like home to you feels even safe in a way, which is so crazy to say it that way, because you look at it, you're like, that's not safe, but that's what your nervous system considered home. So in a way it identifies as safe. Right. And, and we just layer it on and use that pattern for the rest of our lives without looking at it. We can't figure the why the hell we're sad all the time or anxious all the time. And you break that stuff down for people. That's magic straight up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's for people who just like, I mean, again, it's like, freedom from your past and freedom from your conditioning. Yeah. Sorry. My dog is. <laughs> <laughs> he has an anxious pattern. The mailman. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. Juicy stuff. All right. So I think we're ready to wrap up here. Um, yeah. We have just a few short questions to ask you. We ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, if you could hug your younger self right now, Jillian, what would you say? If I could hug myself right now. Your younger self. Yeah. My younger self right now. What would I say to her? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. I would just tell her that everything's going to be okay. Mm. And just to relax. Mm. Just tell her to, to, um, I would just hold her, you know, and just tell her that she's safe. Mm. Yes. Mm. Really good. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh, wow. That's so good. Can it be two books? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) We always cheat with this one. Um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Okay. And Letting Go by David Hawkins. Mm, that's a new one. Letting go. Yeah, I um uh so it's um it's uh it's a book about um 
that teaches you how to really feel your emotions in the moment and then let it go right then and there. And it's really, really simple, but it's constantly like he's really, he's where he, he's died, but he, his whole mission was to help people stop repressing and how to feel the emotion like viscerally and then to breathe and let it go over and over and over again. That I need in my life. Love that. So it would be, um, there's so many more books, of course, but those would be the two yeah. that I would have everyone read. Yeah. Thank you for those. So if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would that be? Oh God, these are so good. Um, breathe. Mm. Breathe and let go. Yeah. Even right now, we could just relax a little bit. We could just breathe a breathe little bit. That is really good. Breathe and let go. Just breathe. It's <laughs> such a big one. It sounds so like, like everyone breathes, but it's to consciously yeah. breathe. Because um, I think that the, the biggest, um, our biggest obstacle that, that we face today is stress. Yeah. And managing our stress. We are just way too stressed out. It's like we're applauded for that. We we're glorified for busyness and for stressing on stuff, like getting shit done. That's stressful. (laughs) There's no relaxation happening there. Yeah. We have way too much stress, way too much stress. Yeah. Yeah. Do mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we let you go, where can people find you online? Um, So certainly my Instagram account, which is at Jillian Tarecki and um, my website, which is JillianTarecki.com. And um, for those who are going through a breakup, like I did, I poured my heart out and worked like two years on this workbook. That's just sort of been sitting there. And I'm like, I am just going to offer this for like next to nothing. And it's a, it's a, for people who, you know, you know, not everyone can afford to, you know, work with a therapist or to work with a coach and they don't really have this information at their fingertips. So this workbook is really amazing. All that you can find on my site. And I have, um, I decided to do a membership for women. I'm going to do something that includes men as well, because men have been requesting it, but it's called the conscious woman. Mm -hmm. And basically in it is just like every workshop, every, everything I've ever done inside the membership. And plus I go live with members every month to kind of answer their questions and to kind of add new content. And we have a really, really active Facebook group where, you know, I'm constantly asking, you know, kind of going there, people go there for advice and little things. So that's what's going on. Awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. We love that. Yes. I want to join. (laughs) I'll be in there. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show, of course, but just for being such a light, like I said, Jade and I both follow your uh, Instagram account and we find so many juicy nuggets we pass between each other there and to our friends. I have a friend going through a breakup right now who I just recommended your workbook to and to go, you know, just just check you out, whether it's on other podcasts or ours or wherever, because you are definitely shedding light on things that most people just kind of like figure they'll figure out on their own. But that's just bullshit. Y'all, that's bullshit. You need help. You need people that are going to hold you accountable. And a coach like Jillian is, is just that person. So thank you for being a light in the world and shedding that brilliance, sharing it with all of us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. 
Oh, that was a lot of information in one hour. I'm glad we got to fit that much in. I know. I feel we like covered we really... almost all of the things I, I told <laughs> you guys we would try to hit. Yeah. And I mean, of course, there's always going to be more questions that pop up. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. never get done questioning. And uh, now we have our magic tricks. We do. So my magic trick today comes from someone who actually inspired a lot of our course with um, men that were doing Awakening the King Within. Her name is London Angel Winters, which by the way, as I was typing up my magic trick, I realized her initials are L-A-W, law, because she threw down the rules in Mm. this (laughs) arena of uh, connecting in love life and all that good stuff. So... The magic, though, I have today is about changing the way you call in what you want. And so um, I'm just going to kind of, of course, summarize what what she gave me or the magic that London Angel Winters gave me. But this is about changing the way you call in what you want. And that means changing your vibrational stand from complaining about lack which is what a lot of us do. I know I can speak for myself here, especially from complaining about lack to instead salivating with desire for what you want. So like, just think of the differences of what those vibrational characteristics would hold, right? So that vibrational stand you might be in when you're complaining about lack, what does that look like? Nagging, I want this, that, the other to salivating with desire for what you want. Like that's so much more yummy. Mm -hmm. So the scarcity mindset, or lack focused, whiny, weak, that whole vibe. That's that's not exactly what we want to be penetrating the world with, or we'll, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to penetrate the world with that shit. But if you can swap that over for that more abundance focused and embodied daydreaming about being in that vision that you really want, you know, and feeling all the way into it, that is some powerful stuff, right? That is where the juiciness lives. So The idea, of course, is that we attract what we are energetically. So the practice here is to sit in silence, bring to mind something you really want. So you can kind of do this as I'm talking in as a quick version, but I would love if people listening would sit with this a little longer so they can get all the way into the juice of it. Um, But sit in silence, bring to mind what you what you want, you know, something you really desire. And envision yourself having it in a way you deeply desire, like in all the ways It includes all the nuances. And you're going to want to spend some time here with what you desire, of course, because that feels really good. Fantasizing about all the details so that they feel really real, not thinking about what you don't have in it, not thinking about, you know, oh, letting all those those thoughts creep in about like, well, but I don't have it. Oh, but, 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 you know, all the negatives Mm -hmm. and just allowing it to be a fantasy, like being really in it, picturing all the stuff that that would include looking at all the crevices of what your desire really holds for you there. Mm -hmm. And when you can get into that deep place, that fantastical place, notice how your body feels here in that deep fantasy and how it feels almost full now, right? You're full of this fantasy where it had previously, just before we started this little practice, felt empty in regards to the thing you want because you're coming from that scarcity mindset. So notice how your thoughts have even changed when you're deep in that fantasy from thoughts of a needy grasping nature to instead a more satisfied, full, less anxious 
like almost relaxed and open tone where you're ready to actually receive the pleasure of the thing you want. And, and this is really the practice here. This is what energetic alignment feels like. So take notice because it is a super powerful thing. You've learned about this type of thing on, you know, the, the secret. And there's so many teachers we've had on this show that talk about how to get into energetic alignment and bring in what you want that way. And it's funny because it is a universal law as people who work in this type of realm, this type of magic, call it. It's a universal law. And it's coming from London Angel Winters, <laughs> aka LAW, the law. So it's if you funny. can get yourself here into this fantasy and get into the juiciness of it and practice it, right? Make it a practice so that you're constantly getting back into that energetic state as often as possible, where you really feel that you're already in it. It will call in what you want, right? Because mm -hmm. we call in we attract what we are energetically. So if you're constantly in the energy, you call it in. So be careful, mm -hmm. be careful what you wish for here, because you will get it if you do this practice. Yeah, that's, that's my really magic. Good. Um, what are you doing today? You got something to say on that? Well, I changed my magic trick during this interview because we talked about the breakup and I thought of something that really helps me hmm. in the past with breakups. And I don't, I, I think I got it from like a book similar to the title of a woman's but like a woman's guide to breakups or something like that. I know there's an ice cream carton on the cover, okay. um, <laughs> but uh, it was a really good book. And I read it in my early twenties. Uh, so something that really, really helped me was after a breakup and that this could be fun for some people it may not be fun for others, but um, after a breakup in order to like stop to help you, your brain to not like, so like your brain, you have these like things where you go home, you lay in this bed that this person used to be in, you get up and you do something in the morning that you used to do with that person. So if you can like alter those a little bit, your brain doesn't go straight to thinking they're supposed to be there. So basically mm -hmm. what you can do is you can move your bed to a different place in the room and change your sheets. Or you can get a little slightly different decor, um, switch out the pillows on your couch, or you can change up your morning routine to where it doesn't, it's not, I used to do this with that person because it's new, you know? And so you go into this new looking room and your brain doesn't automatically like remember them being in there basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, it could, these can be things that are simple, like changing a shower curtain. It's just important that you change the scenery and change up your schedule a little bit because then it's like you're not automatically thinking, you know, that that person belongs there because it's not, it's not the same place anymore. You know, it's not the same routine anymore. So, um, that is really, uh, that's really been effective for me in the past. And, uh, yeah, I invite you guys to try it as well. Ooh. All right. Magic mobbers. Thank you I, so wait, much. I want to just interrupt you real quick. Cause I think I found the book. Is it, it's called a breakup because it's broken. The yes, smart girls breakup it. buddy. Yes, the, that the is ice it. cream container on the front. The smart <laughs> girls breakup buddy. That's what it was. Yeah, it's called a breakup. I was way broken. off. Mm, that like book that. is really, really good though. And it has a lot of challenges. Like they have like some sort of like 30 day calendar where like you don't, you know, you don't uh, contact them for 30 days and you see the, you literally see the like emotions that you go through throughout the 30 days on the calendar. It's really helpful. And then they have like little things like, 
like, you know, your new partner's not, you know, if you're like just sulking at home, like that's not where you're going to find your new partner, you know, like go out to the gym, go do something that makes you feel good. And yeah. Yeah. And, and oftentimes too, that like, uh, this one, I don't know if it'll resonate, but like oftentimes after a breakup, we like don't want to even do anything with ourselves. We're not even eating. Like we're just feeling so miserable. And it's like, okay, well, how about you dress us if you're going to run into him, you know? Yeah, like, and then it gives you motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives you motivation to actually feel better. And um, it makes so but much sense. That for some reason, for me, the changing the scenery and changing the routine was really helpful. No, I um, can totally see Even that. if it was be- doing a hike in the morning instead of in the evening, just something like- Shake it up. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really also- So you, I totally get what you're saying there. though, where you just, you don't sink- yeah. You don't sink into those places that normally there's a gap there because he would normally be there with you doing something or mm-hmm. whatever the thing is, or you'd normally call him at this mm-hmm. time of day. Just different bed sheets. You'd be surprised how different. God, that's a great magic trick. And I, I do want to say that it's brought to mind the fact that we're, you know, we're doing this awakening the King within workshop right now. And there is going to be a lot of men graduating from our course that are probably going to be maybe we'll start a dating app yeah we need to to definitely think about whatever that means like how do we give these guys the credential like hey you graduated awakening the king within workshops Mm -hmm. so at least women that are coming into your sphere will know that you got some new skills on your plate i like that (laughs) and by the way guys uh this was this i didn't mean to turn it into a sales pitch but i'm gonna when it presents itself why not but uh if you have not joined our course i think this is re- this podcast episode is releasing like the day, the last day you're able to join Awakening the King Within. And I know we're already like more than as of recording this podcast, we're already more than halfway fold up. So you better get on it if you're interested. Um, make sure you can grab a spot. Go over to awakeningkings.com to register for the course and get yeah. on, get on. Our first call is tomorrow, guys, and you really don't want to miss it. Yeah. And we've got, we've got an extra um, little bonus coming up this weekend with a celebrity guest. And uh, we'll talk about how he awakened the king within him and you won't want to miss that either. So go sign up, awakeningkings.com. Okay. So. And thank you so much for listening to this episode today. If this held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. It would mean so much to us, you guys. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at the magic hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and want to know what is lighting you up. Yes. And you know that we release a new episode every Monday, so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library. We'll meet you there until then. Be a light. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals. So following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, 
healthiest selves. <laughs>